Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and this morning, open your Bibles, if you would, to the little book of First John. It's all the way near the end of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament. Open it there. That's where we'll be looking in just a moment. And and as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to offer a warm, warm welcome to everyone who's in our contemporary service today, as well as everybody who's joining us online, on TV. I'm really glad that you're a part of this service this morning. And let me just say on this Sunday before Thanksgiving that I wish to you and to yours the happiest and most blessed of Thanksgiving gatherings as we turn our hearts toward the Lord and say thanks to him for every blessing that has come from his hand. And let me just reiterate, if you're in town on Tuesday evening, I'd love for, for you to come have dinner with us here at Ingleside and be a part of a worship service. I'll be helping serve that meal. I'd love to see you, meet you, and welcome you personally, and then hope you'll be a part of the worship service at 6.30 on Tuesday evening. And uh, I also hope that already you're planning Planning to be a part of some of our Christmas gatherings at Ingleside. Those are all mapped out on our website at ingleside.org as well as on the little inviter card that's here. And I hope you'll take it and I hope you'll pass it along to someone you love who needs to get connected to our church or get connected to our, uh, the Lord. You know, on Friday night of this week, these, these little inviter cards that actually come in during the week, so I put some my pocket and on Friday night, uh, my family actually went out and got pizza together, and we were driving back toward home down for Scythe Road, and do y'all know my car just turned right into Dairy Queen on the way as we were going down that road? It just turned right in there and got in the drive through line, and I tried to talk everybody in the car into getting something, but they were all good and didn't, and uh, sort of shamed me, but I'm going to, I decided I was going to get a blizzard anyway, and so... I did. I only got a blizzard many, but I got one, and I enjoyed every drop of it. But we got around to the, to the place where you get it and, and pay, and I had a little conversation with the lady who was uh, providing the blizzard, and the opportunity came for me just to pull uh, this card out and say, hey, I want to invite you to all of our Christmas stuff at Ingleside, and she took it gladly, and I hope I'm going to see her here and y'all, I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll take some of these, put them in your pocket, and when you're at the grocery store or when you're filling up with gas or driving through Dairy Queen, I'll look for you there. <laughs> um, I hope you're just going to invite somebody to come and get in on the blessing of celebrating the fact that God has not left us in our sin, but he sent a Savior that we could be forgiven of our sin and have eternal life. There's no better news in all the world, and we're going to be sharing that this Christmas season. Well, this morning, did you see the title of today's message? It's on your outline. It's called, uh, that you may know how to be sure and certain of your salvation. 
Now, the reason we're looking at this topic uh, and the little book of 1 John is that's what we've read this last week in our chapter of day readings. And as always, let me say, if you're not a part of that journey, you can text the word chapter to 22828, sign up and join with hundreds of us as we're reading God's word and applying it to our lives every day. And if you read 1 John with me this last week, you know that this topic of assurance and certainty and confidence about your spiritual condition before the Lord is the main theme. It's the main topic of the little book of First uh, John. And, and as I've been thinking about that, I, I, I just want to ask you this morning about your spiritual condition. Um, you know, oftentimes that gets focused uh, in a person's life when they hear news that uh, someone they love or someone who's a friend or someone they work with uh, has been diagnosed with a stage so-and-so, certain kind of cancer. Uh, they don't think there's a treatment. This appears to be terminal. And all of a sudden, less important things fall away. And the spiritual condition of that person becomes paramount. Why? Well, it's because the Bible teaches us it's appointed to every one of us to die once and then the judgment. And Jesus put it this way. Jesus said when we die, we will either experience eternal life or eternal punishment. We will either experience salvation or we'll experience condemnation. We will either be in the presence of the Lord or we will be banished from his presence forever. We'll either experience heaven or we'll experience hell. And you don't have to bump up against many of those situations before you begin to see that there really is no more important question than what your spiritual condition is. So what's yours? And what's the spiritual condition of those that you love? Well, I think there are probably four options. I put them on your outline. Do you see it? One of the options is, is that you don't have eternal life, you do not have eternal life, and, the, and that you know that you don't. I bumped into a few people that would have said that's their condition. Another condition, the second one I've listed there, is that you don't have eternal life, but you think you do. And this is a dangerous, perilous position. Are you tracking with me? This is the person that if you were to ask them, what is your spiritual condition? They would reply almost immediately, well, I'm fine. It is well with my soul. Everything's okay with me. And yet, if you were to use scripture as a guide, scripture as an evaluator, there's no reason to believe that they have eternal life. It is a false assurance. It is a false security. It is dangerous and perilous. Or the third possibility is that you do have eternal life. 
You've trusted Christ, you've repented of your sins, but for whatever reason you feel uncertain, unsure, you're plagued with doubt, you don't experience all the joy that God intends, you're not growing as God intends, you're not as effective in ministry and service as God intends, that's a possibility. Or the last possibility, and it's really where the Lord would intend us all to be, I think, and that is, I do have eternal life, and I have biblical, confident assurance that I have eternal life. And so there's great joy in that. There's great peace in that. There's growth in that. There's effectiveness in that. That's where the Lord would have us be. You know, as we look to the scripture today, I want you to evaluate which of those where you really are. Ask the Lord to give you a really sober and honest look at your own spiritual condition And then before we're done today, I want to offer a Thanksgiving challenge. So stick with me to the very end. I want to offer a Thanksgiving challenge um, at the end of the message related to spiritual conditions. Now, the reason why John wrote this book, I think, well, in fact, it's clear. It's revealed in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He tells us why he wrote the little book, and it has to do with assurance and confidence and certainty that we're in Christ. It begins, I write these things to you. I think it's on the screen. It's on your outline. Let's read this one theme verse aloud together today. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Here we go. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so this is an appropriate message for a Sunday gathering like this because I suspect most of the folk in this room would say, yes, I have eternal life. And so he is writing to people already who would say, I am a Christ follower. I have eternal life. I've been forgiven. God has shown me grace. I've repented and believed. But the circumstances of their life now had begun to create some doubt and some insecurity And so he's writing to help them gain that assurance. And the way he does that, we won't have a chance to go through every verse of all five chapters of the book of 1 John, but I think I can pull out the five tests that he gives us to evaluate our lives. So we're going to make a run at it quickly. You got your pen in hand? Let's let's take a go at it and see if we can identify them. Here are the questions the Lord says we ought to ask as we're thinking about our assurance in Christ. We ought to ask, number one, write it in, do I obey, do I obey God's commandments? Do I obey God's commandment? Is my habit, is my pattern, is my practice, is my desire, is the way I'm ordering my life to know and obey God's commandments? We see this in 1 John 2, verse 3. Look at it. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Here's the way I know that I've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, watch this, whoever says, oh, I know him but does not keep his commandments, well, that person, the Bible says, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So in other words, the Bible says, 
One of the evidences that God has done a work of grace in your heart, that you've repented and believed, that you genuinely are in Christ, is that your desire is to know and obey the commands that God has given in his word. Now, that's one side of the coin. Now, let's flip the coin over and add the complementary truth. It's number two. Write it in on your outline. The second thing we ought to ask, and it's sort of the negative uh, way of putting the first principle is, do I make a practice of continuing in sin? Do I make a practice of continuing in sin? So the first question I ask is, do I obey God's commandments? That's on one side of the coin. Flip the coin over and ask it this way. Do I make a practice of continuing in sin? Look at it. This is in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed, God's very life abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, John is saying, listen, when, when God's life, his spirit has come within you, you just can't keep on sinning. Why? Because God's life, his spirit is in you and, and your desire will be changed. And when you do sin, you'll be convicted of it. You'll want to turn from it. So he says, no one who is genuinely a follower of Christ keeps on sinning. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. See, with me so far, we're looking at both sides of the coin today. One side of the coin is positively, do I obey his commandments? Is that my practice? Is that my habit? The other side is, do I continue the practice of sin in my life? So let's think of a positive command. Doesn't the Bible says that we're to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us? Isn't that one of the commands in Scripture? Well, guess what that means? That means then when somebody dings me, somebody offends me, somebody hurts me, if I am genuinely in Christ, I am not going to default to the old nature and say, well, I'm going to hurt them back. I'm going to get even. I'm going to settle the score. Oh, no. Now, that's not a negation of the principle of justice, but the Bible says we ought to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. And you know what ought never to come out of the life of a genuine believer are words like this. We ought never to say, well, I don't care what God says. Well, that's a rejection of his authority and a rejection of his command. If we're genuinely in Christ, we will always care what he commands. Are you with me so far this morning? Or let's flip it over and let's do the one, do I make a practice of continuing in sin? Let's pick out one of the, um, one of the Ten Commandments, shall we? Let's pick out one of the Ten Commandments. Doesn't one of the Ten Commandments say you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? Doesn't it say that? Now, that means a lot of things, but at least one of the things that it means is we ought not profane God's name by using it in a profane, obscene, or cursing manner, right? Doesn't that, isn't that what it means? Maybe I grew up in a home or an environment where everybody just cussed like a sailor and used God's name in vain all the time. But when God changes my life, guess what I will do? 
I will say, no, I don't want to keep on doing that. And by God's grace, I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I'm not going to keep on sinning. What would you think about the person who said, oh, no, I am a follower of Christ. But you know what? I'm just going to cuss all I want. I, 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 I just, that's just me. I'm just going to cuss. Man, I'm going to let the obscenities and vulgarities and profanities and the profaning of God's name just fly out of my mouth. And not only am I going to do that, I'm going to encourage you to do that too. And in fact, I want right here at Ingleside us to become the cussing church. Shall we do that? <laughs> Let's just become the cussing church. What would you say about that person? Well, the scripture says that person's a liar. The life of God is not in them. Let's pick out another one of those commandments. Let's see. Uh, I think there's one in the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But you know, I'm just going to say that that was then and now is now. And I, I, I just think things are different these days. And yes, I like being married, but I also like having relationships with other people outside my marriage. In fact, I want to have as many as I can sustain. I think adultery is just fine. And not only am I going to embrace it, but I want to encourage you to as well. In fact, I want us to be the adultering church right here. At Ingleside, how do you feel about that? Mm. Mm. Do you see the principle? Do you see the principle? One of the ways we know we're in Christ is whether or not we obey his command, commands. It's our pattern. It's our habit. It's our desire. When we fall short, we're sorry about it. And we don't continue in sin. It's the reason why the apostle Paul would write. I didn't have time to put it on your outline, but I want you to see it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you see it? It's on the screen. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you see? One of the ways you know you're in Christ is you have a desire to honor God by obeying his commands. And you have a desire to see sin for what it is and to turn away from it. But that's not all. There are three more tests. Write them in on your outline really quickly. And that is number three, do I love other believers in the body of Christ? The Bible says we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Do you see that? That's chapter 3, verse 14. One of the evidences that God's life is in us is we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Or look at chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, one of the evidences that I am in Christ is I love and want to be around. I want to fellowship with. I want to worship with. I want to be connected in life with other people who follow Christ. Can I tell you that on the backside of the pandemic around our country, churches of all sizes are reporting that the number of people gathering for worship is from 20 to 50% less than what it was before the pandemic. And I know there's, there's a lot of rationales for that maybe. Maybe some have health concerns now or maybe some are providentially hindered in another way. And maybe some have just gotten out of the habit and maybe they'll come back. But there's real concern here. Because if the reason a person was gathering for worship with the body of Christ was simply because it was a tradition for them, and now that it's been disrupted, there's no real spiritual connection to Jesus or to the body of Christ, and they've fallen away, then that person's soul is in peril. Because one of the things the Bible says is that if you've been genuinely changed, you'll love other believers. You'll be connected to the body of Christ. Here's the fourth question. Write it in. And that is, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life? This is the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of verse 4. Do you see it? It says, and by, by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, you shouldn't believe every spirit. Look at it, beloved. Don't, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. How do you know when the Holy Spirit's present in a person's life? Well, it will lead the Holy Spirit, he will always lead us to want to honor and love and obey and exalt Jesus. You know, if I'm around a person for a significant amount of time and I never hear anything out of their mouth that says, I love Jesus, I want to please him, I'm his follower, I want to honor him, if there's just never any mention of Jesus, it's a good indication that the Holy Spirit is not present in their life because the Holy Spirit always honors and exalts Jesus. There's a fifth question, and then we'll run toward the end. John causes us to ask, do I confess today? Here's the fifth question. Do I confess today? that Jesus is the Son of God, and do I trust him today as my Savior, and am I following him as my Lord today? Now, this is just all through uh, this little book, so let me give you three examples. Chapter 4, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony 
that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Do you see it? Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Can I tell you one of the hardest conversations that comes to a pastor? Someone we love, someone in our church, someone who's Maybe testimony of faith is clear and the answers to these questions would all be confirmatory. They have a, a family member or friend or someone close by who dies. And so they are talking with their pastor about it. And one of the questions I almost always ask is, well, what was the spiritual condition of your loved one? And then there's just a long silence. And they say, well, you know, I think, I think when Jim was, uh, was little in vacation Bible school, I think he walked the aisle and was baptized then. And I say, well, you know, that's great. Now, Jim was, what, 60, 70? What about between then and now? And they're just silence. So as you see on your outline, when we ask the question, what about those who prayed a prayer or walked the aisle or were baptized long ago as a child or youth, but in whom there is little or no evidence of the life of Christ now? Jesus said you'll recognize them by their fruits. Now I wanna hasten to say none of us knows the heart and spiritual condition of another person ultimately. But now listen, church family that I love, we ought not give false assurance to those who long ago did something, but that something did not result in a transformed life. That person is in spiritual peril. There's another hard question that comes. I put it on your outline, and that is, what about those who were once actively involved in the church but have now fallen away? I'm not talking about just leave this church and go to that church. I'm talking about they just quit altogether. They, they just abandoned church and life in Christ. Well, John answers that question. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, they went out from us. Yes, they were a part of us, but they went out from us. But they were not of us. They, they didn't really share our commitment to Christ and to obeying his commands and abandoning sin and loving the brothers and walking in the power of the Spirit. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, if their faith had been genuine, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You see, one of the things that genuine faith always does is it perseveres to the end. Now, it is possible that a person can fall away and into sin 
backslidden for a while, and then by God's grace, like the prodigal, come back home. But for the person who fell away and is still away, they're in spiritual peril. So can I ask again as we wrap up today, what's your spiritual condition? And what's the spiritual condition of those you love? Well, listen, I am praying today that God will use his word to show us so that we won't be deluded or deceived nor will we be doubtful when we should be confident and assured. But instead, we will have assurance of our salvation in Christ. That's what I'm praying for you and me today. So what's the Thanksgiving challenge? What's the Thanksgiving ask? Well, here it is. Let me ask it this way. How many of you all are going to get to be with family or friends for a Thanksgiving meal sometime? Anybody here? Yeah, most everybody in the room is going to be able to do that at some level. And so here's my ask. My ask is would you consider sometime during that Thanksgiving gathering. Now, don't, don't be boorish. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be tone deaf. I, I want you to have appropriate social sensibilities. But sometime during that Thanksgiving gathering, I want to ask you if you'll have at least one spiritual conversation. You know, after the meal is done, everybody just sort of talking and recovering from the meal afterwards and once the football game is not interesting anymore and people are just hanging out I wonder if there's somebody in your family network that you ought to just get close to and say hey um, been thinking about you and praying for you recently and I look them right in the eye and just say and I just want to ask, how are you doing spiritually? And then see what they say. And then maybe that leads to a follow-up question. Maybe you've got some of the truth you heard from 1 John in your heart and mind and pocket, and you can engage them about their spiritual condition in light of what the Scripture says. And it might give you a chance to just articulate your own spiritual condition. You see, I don't want you to get to the place where that person you love is gone. And somebody says to you, well, what was their spiritual condition? And you say, well, I don't really know. So have the conversation. Ask the question. Begin the spiritual conversation. Have at least one this Thanksgiving season. And who knows, God may just use you to help that person you love come to faith or renew their commitment and come back home. Or maybe 
gain the assurance that God intends them to have and for us to have. I believe God will be glorified when we have those conversations. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for teaching us from your word today. Lord, I want to pray for any who are listening today who are saying, I need to be in Christ. Help them turn from sin and trust you and begin to follow you today. Lord, I, I want to pray that you would puncture the false complacency of some who think all is well when it's really not. And then draw them to yourself. Lord, for some who are in Christ but who are plagued by doubts, give new assurance. And Lord, give us courage and give us grace to have spiritual conversations all over our community in all of our family gatherings this Thanksgiving season. Bless those spiritual conversations, I pray, for our good and for your glory. This is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.